Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Genesis, in particular this evening, chapter 39. Yesterday, we had the opportunity to engage Judah and Tamar, and now for tonight, this evening, we will re-engage Joseph. Again, from chapters 37 to 50, really what you have is that last great epic and saga of the book of Genesis uh, with an emphasis on Joseph. So we do re-engage Joseph here with chapter 39. That being said, before I jump into our principal subject matter for this evening, I, I did just want to continue to warmly thank each and every one of you out there who are taking time out of your busy schedules, reflecting into the richness and beauty of our faith as it comes to us in and through the book of Genesis. A number of you, as you have uh, remarked and written to me, have been spending time carefully going through this book. You are reading ahead of time. Uh, you are reflecting on your own time. And as you are, it really does sound like you're getting a lot out of this study, a lot out of this incredibly rich book, the book of Genesis. Now, it is important to make sure that we're not running crazy with verses based upon some random, arbitrary, subjective interpretation. We always have to root our study in what the text actually says. So rooting our study in what the Hebrew says. Now, what you can do is read a particular text in the light of something maybe in the book of Exodus, maybe in the prophet Isaiah, or for that matter, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or any of Paul's epistles. Certainly we do that, and as I have said, that's really good biblical theology. But even in saying that, we do have to understand that the literal sense is foundational because you are getting into the mind of the author, and that's always foundational. So that is what we do. Uh, that is why we roll up our sleeves and translate some of these verses as they are written, and then just kind of reflect with them in light of the context of the Bible as a whole. I talk about this because I did find myself in a conversation a couple days ago with someone who, by his own admission, <laughs> kind of went off the path, right? But uh, that's why we have the conversations we have and why we root our sacred scripture and what the text actually says. There are some people out there that believe Catholics just kind of make up their own uh, teachings. That is not the case. Every single thing that the Orthodox Catholic professes to is in at least seed form in sacred scripture, right? So that is a very, very important truth to kind of hammer home. And I say that because as we, as we have gone through the book of Genesis, hopefully have seen that it's just not me talking about what the text is saying in the Hebrew, but as I do speak to at the same time, how this is so foundational to what the Catholic Church teaches in a particular area. Okay, now with that, let us jump into Genesis chapter 39. 
I will go ahead and start with verses 1 to 6. And again, this is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And by the way, Potiphar is uh, the chief officer of Pharaoh's elite guard unit. Okay, and his name, alluding to the Egyptian deity, Ray, means one whom Ray gave. Okay, so um, Potiphar, when you hear that name, uh, speaks to one who was a chief officer of Pharaoh's elite guard unit important relative to what we're reading here. All right, chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. I love that verse. We'll talk about that verse. Verse 4, So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and having him, he had no concern for anything but the food which he ate. All right, so that's chapter 39, verses 1 to 6. A lot here in these verses. What about this phrase, this verse we read, verse 2? The Lord was with Joseph. So the hand of God, right? The hand of God and the hand of God alone brings success to Joseph in Egypt and prospers all of his undertakings. You see, my friends, the Lord is shaping Joseph into an effective leader, an effective administrator so that he can be a mediator of blessings to all who meet him, to all who encounter him. Everything essentially that Joseph touched was good because the good Lord God found favor upon him. You know, a few programs ago, I was reflecting into Joseph's role in the larger plan of salvation history, how God would so unconventionally use even something like Joseph's brother selling him to Egypt as instrumental to saving his people. With that, we ought to pose a question. I was thinking about this as I left yesterday. What does it mean to speak of providence? This is a favorite subject of mine that maybe I haven't always spelled out as clearly as I would have liked on the radio. What does it mean to speak of providence? Well, the word comes from the Latin providencia, which simply translates as foresight, um, precaution, foreknowledge. In essence, while we might look back on event and say something like, boy, that was providential, The word itself, providential, interestingly enough, is really a word that is more tied to a looking forward as opposed to a looking back. Maybe having that deeper sense of how God might work providentially. Now, what am I getting at here? What does that word providence sound like? But prudence. If we want to see how God works in our life providentially, then we should act prudentially right? Prudence comes from the Latin uh, prudencia, 
which is the same Latin root, by the way, to providence. It literally means foresight. Providence means foresight because it has the same root to prudence, right? Foresight. But more than just the foresight of, of seeing something because you had a conversation with someone, prudence is a word that speaks to one's foresight, one's acute foresight. So this is why we define prudence as, oh, being sagacious. What does it mean to say someone is sagacious? What does it mean to say someone is full of sagacity? Well, the word sagacious or sagacity means acute awareness. To anticipate something, to make a decision in the present so as to better your future. To make a decision in the present because of your intuition based upon your studies and, and hopefully by the grace of God, your prayer. So we make prudential decisions the more formed we are in our faith and the more rooted we are in our prayer. It is in that formation that we can begin to see into the future, if you will, where you can begin to intuit things. Yeah, you want to know what? I probably shouldn't do this or that because if I do this or that, then I'm probably going to get in trouble because he or she might respond to this or that in a negative way, whatever that situation might be. Or, or you say to yourself, I'm going to do this because if I do this, it will open up the door for me or for the person who needs the door open for them, right? So we make decisions, prudential decisions, the more we are formed in our faith and the more we root that formation in prayer. And as we do, we begin to see things providentially. That's the essence of, of what I want us to see. Hopefully, we're not always in the business of looking back into a situation and saying, oh, God worked providentially. Hopefully, hopefully, we can sense God working providentially in our life and be more open to Him. And we will when we are acting prudently, when we are making the good choices, okay? My friends, when we talk about providence, another key point for us is that we should never see any one encounter as independent from God's larger plan. Just as Christ was caught up with his divine mission, so should we be caught up with God and the task that he puts into our heart. That's part of the formation. That's part of the prudential decision-making. You intuit something because God has inserted something into your heart. You see, my friends, there was never a moment in the life of Christ where he looked upon a situation and said, well, that's a coincidence. He saw each and every moment, that is Jesus, charged, pregnant with eternal significance. God incidents, as it were. Because as I, as I have highlighted before, God never rolls the dice. Far too often, I think we disregard God's providence as mere coincidence, as a mere concurrence of events that have no perceptible connection. This is problematic because it pushes God's sovereign care to the margins. Rather, what we are made to see is that the natural outgrowth to a life of prayer and in conversation with God is to see all things in light of Christ. Again, where there is a divine quality to each and every moment. This is why the spiritual life and all that we do and say are so deeply satisfying together. Brothers and sisters in Christ, those that have a wisdom and grace have that which cannot be taken away from them. 
whatever else they are robbed of. Joseph's brethren had stripped him of his coat of many colors, but they could not strip him of his virtue and what prudence. Those that can separate us from all our friends cannot in the end deprive us of the graciousness that is God's presence in our very lives. When Joseph had none of all his relations with him, he had his God with him. Even as these verses spell out, even in the house of the Egyptian. And what's more, Joseph saw how God was working in his life providentially, I'm sure, because he was imbued with that deep sense of prudence as he was living a life of virtue. Yes, Joseph was separated from his brethren, but not from his God. Yes, Joseph was banished from his father's house, but the Lord was with him. But the Lord comforted him. It is God's presence with us that makes all that we do prosperous. Those that would prosper, my friends, therefore, must make God their friend. This is one of the great lessons that this whole narrative with Joseph from chapters 37 to 50 teaches us. If you want to prosper, you have to call God your friend. Yes, it is important to have friends, but Christian and holy friends, and even those Christian and holy friends who are a blessing in the end are a blessing because God himself has first blessed them as your friend, right? All blessing comes from God. And if there is something else that this narrative teaches us, it is this, just because you have prospered materially, does not mean you have been blessed. And what I'm saying there is, yes, it can be a blessing, but sometimes, sometimes it isn't. It can actually be something used by the adversary where he's giving you more and more and more and more. Everything was taken away from Joseph. Everything but God himself. And that was his great blessing because the more he detached himself from anything in the world, the more he was able to attach himself to God. So what I am saying, my friends, is blessing can even come in the form of and potentially preferred as something taken away. It might be hard for us to get our head around this, but read sacred scripture carefully. Read this chapter carefully. Joseph was blessed, and everything was taken away from him. So, what are we to make of this? Well, my friends, sometimes, if not all the time, when something is taken away from you, it is a blessing from God, because when we are down to nothing, God is always up to something. Always. Especially if you are in a relationship with God. I have many brothers and sisters in Christ who have lost a great deal and they wave their finger at God as if he's torturing them. I dare say, read the story of Joseph. Read the story of Job. Read the story of Elijah. Read the great figures in the Old and New Testament. And what you'll come to find is that sometimes, again, if not all the time, blessing comes in the form of loss. Because the greatest blessing in human history is what? But the cross. 
and the corpus on the cross, the body of Christ on the cross, where the God-man was stripped of everything and at the same time became the greatest blessing for our salvation. In the end, we are to understand that life is not a random series of coincidences, but God incidents, where all of our encounters ought to be cast in the light of the Holy Spirit and turned into mystical encounters, encounters that are formed and informed in the Holy Spirit. And when we do this, when we grab hold of this understanding, what revelation will come to you is that maybe, just maybe, in that moment where the world said God is far away, He was actually closest to you. He was actually closest to you. And we shouldn't um, underestimate the humanity of the great patriarch that is Joseph in the Old Testament. Okay, I'm sure he had his moments. His moments where he looked at God and he cried out. To some degree, we know he did because we'll read about those. Okay, God, what are you up to? But like his papa, right, like his father, he acquired that inquisition of one that is not in the stead of doubt. What are you doing, God? How can you do this to me? But in the stead of faith. How are you going to do this? Because I believe you're going to do this. I just don't quite understand how yet. What Joseph teaches us, and many other great figures in the Old and New Testament, is the importance of that interior attitude of faith, that disposition we, where we are already in relationship with God, and as we are, we are asking the question, I don't doubt you can't do this. I'm just a little curious, how are you going to do this? I can only imagine how Joseph must have felt from one day to the next as everything he was doing was being blessed. He was in the house of Potiphar, this Egyptian, this Egyptian guard, no less. He must have been witnessing how God was blessing him and blessing everything that Joseph touched. Yet to the human mind, for Joseph, maybe, gosh, Lord, I'm in Egypt. What are you doing? He had a right to inquire, but I'm sure always in faith, always in faith. So I say we should never underestimate his humanity. And as I do, I do because in the end, it should help us appreciate his faith, his great and heroic faith. Huh? I, I just love that push and pull, if you will. When we get into these narratives, what is revealed to us in our humanity and how God calls us out to be great in his divinity. Huh? All right. Let us take a look at the rest of this chapter, how we do it on time, okay? I do want to make a few more points, so we'll go ahead and read some more of these verses. This, is again, this again is chapter 39, verse 7. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Scripture doesn't miss any detail. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, 
Behold, having me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wow! How important is that verse, my friends? Let us just hit the pause button and reflect into the importance of that. How is he acting? Prudently. Prudently. He is acting, abiding in that all-important virtue of purity, and consequently, he is acting prudently. I love this verse. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What a witness to the virtue of purity. Remember that word from the Greek, kathados, which means just not pure, clean, and modest. But when you translate it to its root, it means to be one thing, to have a single heart, to have a single mind for one thing. To live prudently is to will one thing. To live prudently is to live in purity. Joseph had a single heart for God and nothing, nothing, not even Potiphar's wife was going to pull him away from that one thing, which was God and doing the right thing. Una necessarium est, the one thing necessary. For Joseph, he always looked at the one thing necessary as the God thing. And the God thing was always rooted in the virtue of purity. And consequently, this is why he acted prudently. And oh, by the way, this is why he saw how God worked providentially in his life. Remember, blessed are the pure in heart. What's the rest of that beatitude? For they shall see God. Joseph saw God in all things because he was pure of heart. Amen? Amen. All right, let us continue. Verse 10. And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie with her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, She caught him by his garment. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Gosh, she is insistent, right? Absolutely insistent trying to seduce Joseph. But does he fall? No. What does he do? What do we read? But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. (laughs) He flees. He runs away. He left his garment in her hand and fled. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment with me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to insult me. 
But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment with me and fled out of the house. When his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But just in case you say out there, ah, Joseph isn't blessed. What do we read in the next verse? But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So not only did he bring favor upon Potiphar because he was in the presence of Joseph, but now it is the keeper of the prison who was blessed because he is in the presence of Joseph. I mean, fascinating. By the way, my friends, the Greek word for blessed, makarios, literally translates as to be in favorable standing with God. So yes, literally, Potiphar was blessed when he was in the presence of Joseph, and now the keeper of the prison is blessed. Okay, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. I want to close with this thought, and really it's a challenge to each and every one of us. Each and every one of us are called to be blessed. Blessed by God in everything that we do, everything that we say, each and every encounter we have at work, at church, wherever we go, we are called to live a blessed life. Now, part of the reason we are called to live a blessed life is because God desires through you to mediate more blessing. This is the power of abiding in God's presence and carrying God's presence with us wherever we go. You know you live among a holy one when you are being blessed by God because it is God who so chooses to use the Holy One to bring about more blessing. Holy friendships bring about more blessing and more blessings bring about more holy friendships. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.com. Dot org.